All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, it has been an interesting midterm election cycle so far. We've got a lot of Democrats that don't want to debate, and that's been frustrating. We're going to go over the Democrats that haven't wanted to debate. Plus, we're going to give you an update on some of the debates that did happen, which, spoiler alert, might explain why some other Democrats don't want to show up to debates. But then finally, we're going to wrap all this up by taking a look at some very interesting polling data to include polling data coming from one place that you probably aren't tracking very closely. So stick with us. All of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. I know everybody listens to the show to hear Christian Hines's prediction as to what's coming up in this upcoming election, but we want to hear yours as well. And I hope you'll join us in Volley, which you can find at the link in the description of this show. We look forward to seeing you there. All right. Hi, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. But other than that, a fairly good person. My beautiful bride, Tina, queen of the bees, could not be with us here today. But we do have our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. Hi. And this is going to be a this is going to be a Christian heavy episode because we're talking it a lot is. about polling and debates. Although I do got to correct one thing there, producer, producers, Nicholas oh, Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. He's not doing his predictions yeah, this is not the prediction episode. Yeah, I was be, literally about to be like, what are you talking about? Don't be setting about? him up for like <laughs> that takes some analysis and he's got to go over data points. True. We're just we're just going over some interesting findings. And the first thing that we're going to start off with today is how interesting it is on how many Democrats don't want to debate. And we're not talking about like town council races here. Yeah, you like, know, today's episode is all about Democrats are trying to avoid being held accountable for their years in in running Washington, D.C., and we're going to find out today why they've been trying to avoid these debates. Well, because we, we've seen this. There's been articles on it. I mean, prominent races. Like, we're talking uh, the gubernatorial race in Arizona. She refuses to date her uh, opponent, right? Katie Hobbs refuses to date um, Kerry. And and look, it, it's not like she's brand new to politics, right? She's what? The sitting secretary she, of she's state? She's the secretary of state. In Arizona, yeah. refuses to debate. You see the same thing with certain races in Michigan. I think it's the attorney generation in Michigan. Another gubernatorial race in uh, Pennsylvania. They don't want to debate. Uh, the, the, this It was the Senate race in Pennsylvania that we're going to get into. No, no, no. That's That Democrat did debate. Oh, yeah, that's actually we're true. We're talking about yeah. the people that didn't debate. Well, and, he, and we're seeing, and even here, in, in like in Virginia, Abigail Spanberger refuses to debate. And I love how they, in fact, pull up the article real quick. We got this one. Spanberger Vega congressional debate canceled. Wow. What a way to put it. Is, is it, is it canceled because both candidates said they didn't want to do No, no, no. It's canceled because Spanberger won't debate Vega. Right. And so you're, you're seeing some of this news. 
Um, let's go ahead and go to the. This. They actually buried in the headline where they say Friday night yeah. debate was canceled after Spamberger pulled out, citing concerns about security and moderators. You know what her concern about the moderator was? That the moderator wasn't going to be biased in her favor. Yeah, because this is one of those debates where it's the Prince William Committee of 100 and the League of Women Voters, right? And so basically you had two moderators. You had more of a left of center moderator and you had a, a right of center moderator. And Abigail didn't want that. Right, she wants one moderator, preferably one that will give her preferable treatment. Right, so that's what it is. Let's go to the next one. This is funny because this is how this backfires. Katie Hobbs, right, refuses to debate Carrie Lake in Arizona again, running for governor, refuses to go before the voters and say, "Okay, we're going to allow somebody to ask tough questions." But she has the audacity to get on Twitter and say, "I have a lot of questions for Carrie Lake's plan to address our water crisis." Carrie Lake immediately goes on and goes, well, then maybe you shouldn't have avoided our debate. <laughs> I mean, that was... Look at the ratio Oh, there. yeah, big time. Look at the ratio there. 16,000 likes, yeah. and the original tweet was 4,000 likes. Oh, yeah. So Kate, Katie Hobbs is, is getting obliterated. And Carrie Lake, I will say this, too, about Carrie Lake. As far as handling the press, what the press has tried to make Carrie Lake out to be, which is some, like, raving psychopath... And then you actually see Carrie Lake going into an environments, by the way, that are hostile to her, and she handles it beautifully. I Carrie Lake was painted out to be a lunatic mm -hmm. in the primary cycle that that she was, you know, going to be crazy and reckless, yeah. and and so there was this perception that the media had had created, you know, pushed by Katie Hobbs's campaign. And then Lake got into the general election, and, and she used to be, um, uh, I believe it was like a news anchor. She was on yeah, TV for, was. for many years. So she actually knew how to handle herself in that right. environment, and I think she she's done a great job. And in large part, when when you're painted as being this, like, basically a monster, yeah. and then you show up to the voter, and suddenly they're expecting horns on your head and for you to have a tail and stuff like that, and you don't have that, Yeah. well, it shatters the narrative. So in some ways, it actually backfired that yeah. they painted her to be so crazy and and she's she she's run a very disciplined campaign. Yeah. And I think that's why Katie Hobbs doesn't want to debate her because Carrie Lake is comfortable in front of a camera yeah. and knows how to handle herself. And Hobbs is entire campaign has been like falling apart. She's arguably like she has the least popular state out of all the statewide offices in Arizona. She has probably the least efficient, most scandal plagued one out of all of them. And she, that's part of the reason she doesn't want to get on the debate stage because she has her own record. Oh, she'd that have she to answer to questions. Well, and, and we see this, we we're seeing this across the board and, and what every single one of them attempt to do in order. And again, the press runs cover for them. It's like, well, we're not going to debate these election deniers. Well, if they're all a bunch of idiotic election denier, right? They're all the morons you claim to be, you should want them on the debate yeah, stage. Expose them, right? Right. You should expose them as the crazy people that they are. That you know they're secretly going around with these little cabals and they're trying to overthrow democracy. Well, this is your perfect opportunity to show what morons they are. But you're not doing that. You're avoiding the debate. You're backing out. You're either re you're refusing to do it. And we we started we started asking like from a political standpoint because obviously I've run for office. I'm currently sitting in office. My rule is generally. I, I always go to the debate. I, I want, I want usually like standard. It's like three debates per an election cycle, usually mm -hmm. toward the end. That that's, that's fairly standard sure. depending on what you're running for. If you're running for president, there might be more. If you're running for a lower office, there might be fewer, but you, you, you show up to debates. I, I mean, I always show up to the, debates. I don't think you've ever backed out. No, of I, debate, I always ever. show up to the debates and I will show up to debates where I know it's not necessarily a, a friendly moderator. I've seen you go into debates where it is 
extremely biased against. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell it. I'm just saying that I I've been fine. I've been comfortable yeah. going into those debates. I, I think it's for two reasons. One, I like debates, but two, um, I, I think it's an obligation for an incumbent. Um, if you're an incumbent, you, you need to show up to a debate. Right. Now I think a challenger should do debates, but challengers generally want them because it raises their name identification, whereas incumbents usually don't like them because they already have name recognition. Right. I think that's double reason for incumbents to show up. Now, and I get it. Strategically, you don't want to raise their, their name recognition, but you have an obligation to go up there and defend what it is that you've done and what it right. is that you believe and, and to give people basically a report card on what how you've performed as their representative. So when you're unwilling to do that and you're the reason why you're not doing it is for strategic reasons, which is to say it is it is more of a risk for me to get up in a debate stage than it is to simply just refuse to do you're it. You're more likely to lose something than gain something. I think that's I mean I there's a part of me that just finds that cowardly. So but now we're going to try to we're going to try yeah, to say so, so the question is why defense, are they why right? are they avoiding these debates so, right so in their defense all right so we've already I've already said I think this is cowardly but what would be another reason why they didn't want to do it well let's go and take a look we found out last <laughs> night debates yeah so we had some debates some major debates in Pennsylvania the Senate debate we had the gubernatorial debate in New York but we're going to show you some clips from both of them from both of them but we're going to start off so let, let, let's let's just prime the audience for this especially those who are are listening and not watching yeah so we've got clips from Pennsylvania's Senate debate last night between Oz and Fetterman and we've also got clips um, of the New York gubernatorial debate that was held last night between Zeldin and Kathy Hochul, or Hochul, yeah. who's um, who's the incumbent Democratic governor. Yeah. And we're going to find out in just a second exactly why Democrats all over the country have either been avoiding debates, canceling debates, or only attending one debate two weeks before the yeah. election. Yeah, because keep in mind, like with early voting, all these states have pretty much started already voting. Early voting. And at this stage, a significant portion of the electorate has already voted. And we saw this actually in 2020 because one of the most highly Googled um, search phrases after like the presidential debate was, can I change my vote? Really? And the answer in most states is no. Yeah. And some you can, but it's a very onerous process. And others you, you, you simply can't. So there's a reason why some of these people that think they're doing a little bit better in the polls or they got a shot. They wanted to wait out the clock. They're trying to call it in. And man. Fetterman here, we're going to uh, play a few clips. So what you're saying, though, is, is is strategically, it's better for some of these candidates to hold the debate until as close yes. to or just election not have day one. as if possible. They, if they think they're going to do, if they think that they're doing well with early voting, then what they want, and if they think they're going to get crushed in a debate or isn't going to go well for them, they will push, if, and they don't cancel the debate, they will push the debate as close to election day as possible so as few people as possible can change their minds. Wow. Yeah, so so this is probably one of the worst debate performances. I, I actually watched... Uh, over half this debate last night. This is probably one of the worst debate performances ever. And it, it, just just roll the clip, Hamilton. Yeah. This is Fetterman versus Oz. I must correct the record. Uh, well, he uh, just a second, Mr. Oz. I do want to clarify something. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking. But there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Uh, I, I, I do support fracking and I don't I don't I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. 
Okay, thank you, Mr. Federman. On to well, 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 there you go. Couldn't it be clearer, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, he got he got caught because he was in, in the whole climate change and the whole green energy side, which is very very important on the left, obviously. Yeah, the context here is that Fetter, so so John Fetter, um, um, uh, um, John Fetterman is the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. Yeah. He's the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate in that state, and his political career has has been largely defined, so, not entirely, but largely defined by his opposition to fracking in Pennsylvania, which is a, a huge potential industry yeah. in the state. And he actually signed a pledge just a few years ago supporting a complete ban moratorium on all fracking. And he was called out on that in this debate. And I, I, that was one of the most awkward things I saw where it was like five or six seconds of silence before yeah. he even opened his mouth. And all that he had to say was, well, I, I support fracking. Now, Fetterman um, suffered a stroke a few months ago. Yeah. And his campaign tried to make it seem like that he had basically made a full recovery. And this debate was kind of the first experience that a lot of voters in that state had of hearing and seeing Fetterman since the stroke. And the results were really ugly to be to, to, to just put it. Put it well, mildly. and Fetterman tried to, at the very beginning of the debate, he was trying to say, look, I've had a stroke. There might be some slip-ups tonight, the whole deal. And, and of course, the left has come out and be like, oh, this is all ableism if you think this is an issue. Uh, no, if you're going to be put in a position to have to make fairly important decisions, which will affect the lives of 340 million Americans, uh, us knowing that you, you possess the capacity to be able to do that. All right. That's it, not it's, ableism. Yeah, it's not, we don't, it's not that we're being mean to you. It's not ableism. I, I tweeted this last night that... It's not ableism if you're not able to do the job. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sorry, but what, what some people on the left really want is, is us to ignore reality because it offends them. Yeah. Right? And so criticizing or pointing out that, that Fetterman is, is quite frankly, I mean, this debate performance, in, in fact, actually, just play this let's, next let's clip the and next then I'm going to wrap so this. You can, I, so you can see. I'll because, explain what yeah. I mean by this. Turning now to foreign policy, Mr. Fetterman, what do you believe is the greatest foreign threat to the United States of America? You have 60 seconds. I, I believe, I, I believe, you know, is, is right now is, is China. I believe China is not our friend, and I believe that we can't be able to push back and we need to stand against China. And I believe that Dr. Oz has chosen to uh, manufacture all of his merchandise on his name on it in China. Which one of us on this stage is going to stand up against and stand firm against China? You know, and I believe that's our single biggest issue right now to make sure that we address China and make sure that we know that it's not our friend. I, 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 I mean, I, I felt uncomfortable yeah. watching the debate. Like the fact that this man's campaign staff, I'm sorry, but whoever is running Fetterman's campaign should be fired this morning Yeah, because for you to allow this man to go on this debate stage and humiliate himself like this, yeah. he was clearly not in the right mindset. He was no. not mentally or physically capable to do this debate. No. And- and I, I mean, that is just gross negligence well, to and, allow and, that to happen. And there's going to be some people that are accusing us of being mean right now, like we're picking on Fetterman. It's like, no, this is, again. I feel if, bad if, if for Fetter, him. If Fetterman had said, look, I've had a massive stroke. I need to either sit this one out or I'm like, okay. And you know what we would all of a sudden, like, okay, if you've got to sit out the campaign, if you've got to sit out the debate, you might have to sit out being a United States senator. And that's not us being mean. There are certain practical realities with respect to the demands of the job. And that doesn't make me mean for pointing that out. So I'm, I'm not picking on the fact that the guy had a stroke, 
But I, I do think it's relevant. I think voters to the question deserve that we have to answer here on on November eighth. We we've got one more clip of this mm-hmm. debate that we want to play. Um, but I just want to point out that that the left's response now is going to be that that any criticism of this debate performance is an act of ableism. And as I said earlier, it's yeah. not ableism if you're not able to do the job. Yeah. Are we just supposed to ignore reality or the truth because it's offensive to people on the left? Well, no. Here, here's what this here's what this also comes down to. If your surgeon had a stroke and was supposed to come back and perform the surgery and it was it was painfully clear that their mental and physical capacity was not back up to speed, would you let them operate on you? And the answer is no. And if someone said, well, oh, you're just being ableist, you'd be like, no, moron. Like, they're clearly not in a position to be able to do the job. I don't want to get hurt as a result of them doing the job poorly. That is not ableism. That's just understanding how reality works. And unfortunately, again, this debate was so bad that... Chris Cuomo yeah. had to admit the unthinkable about this. Play the clip here. This is the aftermath of the debate. Voters, I think, saw things that will definitely change the state of this race. It's not his fault, uh, but Lieutenant Governor Fetterman struggled. Um, and again, I'm not faulting him for it. I don't think his preparation was great, uh, but he clearly is dealing with health issues uh, that affect his ability to process and his ability to speak. Voters. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, that, look, that's a, that's an honest analysis. Yeah. Well, there was no way to avoid that no. conclusion. There's no way the water carriers in the media who just constantly play play defense for the Democrats could avoid. Yeah. Like, like, who are you supposed to believe us or your lying eye? Yeah. Like, like, like it, 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 there, nobody who watched that debate could have walked away thinking that Fetterman had somehow won. Yeah. Right. Or, or that he hadn't or, even or just even, been a disaster. Just, I mean, let's face it. Fetterman was going into this debate. With everybody assuming there was going to be issues with respect to, you know, um, issues from the stroke. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's not like John Fetterman has ever been considered like the intellectual champion of the Democratic Party or progressivism. Right. They, for whatever reason, people voted for him. It wasn't because he's just smashing on a debate stage. Yeah. Right. So right off the bat, he goes into this uh, on the other end. I mean, Dr. Oz had his own like television show pretty much, yeah. right? So this is something where, okay, we all know Oz is going to be comfortable in front of a camera. He went into this, and if he would have pulled off a C, people would have been like, oh my gosh, Fetterman, you know, outperforms, yeah. you know, expectations, blah, blah, blah. It, instead, he went in with incredibly low expectations and, and failed, failed to them. meet them like badly. And so everyone is at the point right now, and and like Chris Cuomo, at least at this point, understands that there is no way he can stand up there and say, well, actually, I think he did a pretty, no, it was that bad. But lest you believe that we're just sitting here picking on a guy that just had a stroke, let's look at another debate. In Fetterman's defense, that man actually had, was courageous enough to stand up yes. on the debate stage with yeah. all of the issues that he that. has yeah. and, and tried to try his best. Oh, and, I have, I have far more respect oh, I have for John Fetterman's courage than I do Abigail Spanberger or Katie Hobbs yeah. or these other people, because he had a legitimate excuse. I still would have been upset about it because if you want the job, you got to go interview for it. Right. But he had a legitimate excuse, a medical excuse on why he potentially could not have done this. What's Katie yeah. Hobbs' excuse? What's Spanberger's oh, excuse? Oh, I've, I've got a better one for you. We can we can excuse Fetterman's poor performance for reasons outside of his control. We cannot excuse the governor of New York <laughs> making one of the absolute worst 
gaffes I've ever seen in my entire. This is a McAuliffe this tier is, this gaffe. Is, yeah, this is um, and, this and, is Terry quality so, so gaffe. The, the 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 background here, real quick, is that New York, obviously, super blue state. Nobody on earth thought that New York would be close, and the polls are, have tightened so much now yeah, really? that it's actually there's an outside chance. I'm not saying it's likely, but there's an outside chance that Lee Zeldin will end up winning the gubernatorial election. He's a congressman, a Republican congressman in New York that's mm -hmm. running for governor. There hasn't been a Republican governor in New York in like 20 years. And he might actually pull it off. And in large part because crime and inflation and um, political corruption in New York are just spiraling out of control, especially the crime front. And so he's made crime, especially in New York City and the suburbs, like the centerpiece of his campaign. And Kathy, the Democrat incumbent in New York that succeeded Cuomo when he had to resign because of his his scandals with his personal behavior, she just dropped the ball. Like, like we know what Fetterman's excuse is. What's her excuse? We, well, we let's have, let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's play it. the clip here. This is so bad. This this governor, who still to this moment, we're not, what are we halfway through the debate? She still hasn't talked about locking up anyone committing any crimes. Okay, anyone who commits a crime under our laws, especially with the change we made to bail, has consequences. I don't know why that's so important to you. All I know is that we could- this, this guy I don't know why that's great. so important I, to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when, you've got the, when you've got the mayor of New York City coming on telling people like, yeah, you, you probably shouldn't be looking at your phone or listening to your, you know, listening to music when you're on the subway. That way you can keep situational awareness. You know, so somebody doesn't push you onto the railroad tracks arbitrarily or come up and beat you to death on the subway. It, it's like, I, hey, look, I'm perfectly glad if the mayor wants to hand out that sort of advice to, to people who are traveling. But what it does is it kind of gives away, you know, the other side of the story, which is you can't keep a safe community within the area and within your jurisdiction. And the governor bears some of the blame for what is going on with crime across the state because of the policy she's signing in. Right with within with respect to this New York State Legislature, and then this attitude, and I've seen this on Twitter too. I've seen people bring up. I had a, I had a friend of mine in Philadelphia, really nice guy. Like mm -hmm. he's, he's on the um, um, he, he's an elected office up there, and he was just pointing out some of the things that were going on, like within the subway, uh, because you know he, he's in an area where you know they've got a dangerous subway, dangerous subway up in New York, and everyone's coming on like, oh look at that, they're trying to. They're, they're trying to draw attention to all this crime in order to make it a bigger deal than it really is. And it's like, gosh, that is such a white progressive living in a suburb community, you know, trying to trash somebody for pointing out crime right now. Like, this is a major issue that's actually affecting people. And oh, by the way, it disproportionately affects people in poor neighborhoods. And when you're sitting there trying to trash someone for bringing it up, or you're doing what the governor of New York just did here, it's like, I don't see why this is such a big deal to you. Well, you're going to find out why it's a big deal to voters. Yeah, white progressives living in gated communities think talking about crime is dog whistling for racism is itself racist because yeah. they can they have the armed security they have the walls they have the gates they have all of the protection it's people that are living in new york city that are riding the subway every day or, or that are living in the in the outer or innermost suburbs of the city that have to deal with this problem it's not people like kathy yeah. Right. That has to deal with this issue. Yeah. It's not the the white liberals that live, you know, in the in the penthouse, you know, apartments in, in you know, lower Manhattan that have to deal with this issue. Yeah. And so, like, if Zeldin pulls off this win, it's it's in large part going to be because uh, like, like New York City won't come out to the degree that it needs to for for the Democrat. And, and 
let's play another clip just to show how bad this performance was because this was one debate that she agreed to and and it's it, it, what happened last night is really obvious why she only agreed to one debate brief yeah i mean the, the reality is and i've been asking for months and my opponent still can't finish this sentence so you can't expect her to ever fix it but new york leads the entire nation in population loss because she actually got asked this question by the media a few weeks ago when she was at Binghamton Airport. She probably would love to have a redo because she messed it up that time. For me, you ask me, why does New York lead the entire nation in population loss? Because their wallets, their safety, their freedom, and their quality of their kids' education are under attack. So they're hitting their breaking point. They're looking at other states like the Carolinas, Tennessee, Texas, Florida, and elsewhere. And they feel like their money will go further, they'll feel safer, and they'll live life freer. The state is at a crossroads. We were at a crossroads in 1994 when New York elected George Pataki, and we're at a crossroads right now. I but as far as what happens with Kathy Hochul and one-party rule for four more years, outsized power of self-described socialists, we need balance and common sense restored to Albany. That, that was... Yeah, that was a really good... Like, him pointing out our state yeah. leads the country in population loss. Yeah. Why? Because their wallets, their safety, their freedom, and the quality of their kids' education. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like what Glenn Youngkin said last year. Yeah. Well, I, I think the other thing that's really interesting about this is he's pointing something out. And we, we actually pointed this out in a uh, in a Why Minutes that we did a while back where it was like, why are people leaving these states? And we talked about these various issues. But one of the things that people always clam on is like, oh, well, there's there's less taxes in these you know red states and whatnot. It's like, okay, wait a second. These people were perfectly comfortable with high taxes. What they didn't like was is they were getting taxed at incredibly high levels and there was homeless encampments outside of their, you know, grocery store. And there was, you know, encampments outside of their kids' school. And the schools were closed down and not actually producing good ac uh, academic or educational outcomes, right? And there was high crime on the subways. It's like they were paying all the high taxes and sitting here wondering, what are we getting for this? Where's because, the services? Because it turns out in some of these other areas, I can pay lower taxes and still get all the things you told me the high taxes were paying for. So th that was, I mean, again, Zeldin did a great job on, on responding to that. Here's the last clip from last night. This is on, on the focal point issue, which is crime. And the reason we're going to play this is because there's some polling implications here about the disconnect between the way that Democrats are talking about issues this election cycle and the way Republicans yeah. are talking about it. And you, you have people who are afraid of being pushed in front of oncoming subway cars. They're being stabbed, beaten to death on the street with hammers. Go talk to the Asian American community and how it's impact them with the loss of lives. Jewish people targeted with raw, violent anti-Semitism on our streets. It just happened yet again. We need to be talking about all of these other crimes, but instead, Kathy Hochul's too busy patting herself on the back. Job well done. No, actually, right now, there should be a special session. The state legislature should come back and they should overhaul cashless bail and these other pro criminal laws with zero tolerance, but they're saying, elect me. She says, elect me, and then you'll find out where maybe I'll stand on this issue in January. And you, you got people who are afraid wow. of being yeah, pushed I in mean, front of oncoming subway. There, there's a, so that's the other reason. Again, when we talked earlier, like, what are, the, what are the strategic reasons why people don't debate? One of the reasons is because they will do a poor job. We see this with Fetterman, right? Another reason why they'll do it is because they know their opponent will do an excellent job. And, and when, you have a, when you have a combination of those things, like I'll say this about Spanberger. When I when I debated Spanberger, she didn't do a horrible job. She just didn't really do anything. Sufficient. Yeah, she just didn't really do anything. She played not to lose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She played not to lose. 
And so people could say, you know, fairly that, oh, well, maybe that was a successful strategy, right? What these guys are doing right now is they're recognizing that when, when you pair up your candidate who is really, really bad at this naturally, and then they have a record that is indefensible, and then they're standing up against somebody that's really good at this, the contrast becomes horrible for them. And, and that really does move the needle with certain voters. And, and again, it wasn't just in New York. It wasn't just in um, Pennsylvania. You saw the same thing in, in uh, Michigan where Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer got up there like with a smile on her face and said, well, no, kids were only out of Michigan school for three months. Which was a flat what? out lie. I mean, you, you've it was got like to, a year. You've got to understand. You've got to understand one of the key frustration points for so many parents. We saw this in, in Governor Youngkin's election here in Virginia. One of the key points was, had to do with our education, schools being closed down, what was going on and being taught in our schools. And when Democrats get up there and do this and engage in this kind of gaslighting where they'll say something like this that is either blatantly false or, or they'll try to come up with some sort of technical reason why it's kind of technically sort of true. Parents are not having that. Any parent in Michigan looks at that and is like, you're lying to me. You, you are now being just blatantly dishonest about what you actually did. And you're doing it. And we're no longer talking about, did you spend this much money here or this much? You're talking about something that I was intimately familiar with as a parent. My parents were, or my kids were out of school and it wasn't just for three months. So you're not going to tell me I'm a liar. Right. One of the biggest things that the Democrats screwed up in Virginia um, in, in 2021 was they kept insisting on certain narratives that everybody knew was false. Everybody knew was not true. And they honestly thought that if they could just call everyone a racist or a bigot loud enough that that everybody would back down. And the opposite happened. They ended up losing key demographics in the election cycle because they were insisting on a particular narrative. They were insisting on a particular set of issues or topics and when it didn't align with the voters, they decided to call the voters bad names. And so the question is, is, okay, that's what we, we we're seeing this in some of these debates. We saw this in 2021 here in Virginia because we have off, uh, off your election cycles. Now we're going to go ahead and look at some polling that shows what voters are concerned about. So I'll go right, right off the bat. We'll admit this is Rasmussen. Rasmussen is definitely center right pollster. Okay, so you, you can read into that whatever you want. If you want to say that you think they're 2% off or 3% off or 5% off, fine. But they're, they're not 20% off. Right. They're not 10% off. But they did, a, they did a list October 19th, 2020, and it was all U.S. likely voters. And the reason why you see, you'll, you'll see sometimes it's RV and sometimes it's LV when you read this. RV is registered voters, especially at this stage in the game. That is a stupid way to poll hmm. because you, you want to go after likely voters. Half the electorate doesn't vote in the midterms. Right. So just to, just because you're registered means very, very little. If you're trying to predict election outcomes, you need to go likely voters. These are people that have told you, no, I am motivated to vote and I am planning to vote. Yeah. I want to know what that person thinks, not somebody that just registered to vote 10 years ago and has, hasn't voted since. So they went to likely voters. So that's good. And here's what they found. Number one issue, inflation. I don't think that I don't think that surprises anybody. And that was 89 percent concerned, 64 percent very concerned. The next was the economy again. I don't think that surprises anyone. 88% concerned, 60% very concerned. Third was election integrity. 84% concerned, 61% very concerned. Now, here's what's interesting about the election integrity. That is one where you would immediately pop up and say, oh, well, now you know that they, you know, they, they oversampled Republicans. No. 
Hillary Clinton, Stacey Abrams, they're all coming out talking about conservatives are prepared to steal elections. So they've actually rallied their own base on this issue of election integrity. Every time that they say that voter ID laws is a, is a form of voter suppression, this all pulls into election integrity mm -hmm. as a category. Number four, high gas prices. Um, number five, violent uh, crime. Number six, the Ukraine war. Number seven, uh, seven, fentanyl poisoning. Number eight, energy policy. Number nine, national security. Number 10, school issues. Number 11, election cheating. Now, you word it that way, that is that is a little bit more probably Republican-oriented. But again, when you have Hillary Clinton coming out saying conservatives have already planned to steal elections. All right. Number 12, abortion rights. All right. Number 13, illegal immigration. Number 14, climate change. Number 15, U.S. Capitol riot. That's Number 16, COVID-19. Number 17, LGBTQ issues. Here's what I'm going to tell you right now. All right, let's, let's everyone predict in your own minds before we actually get to another poll to show you. As you look at all those issues, 1 through 17, and you think about what are candidates focusing on, what are the parties focusing on with respect to what the they Democrats talk about? Are focusing heavy just ask yourself, on abortion. Like for, for the audience <laughs> at home, for the audience at home, just ask yourself: What are the top three issues that Republicans in your state or your district running on yeah. to the best of your, your your ability? What do you think they're running on? And so then what, ask what yourself: you, What are the Democrats running on? What are their yeah. three top issues? What do you make of this, Nick? Here in the seventh in Virginia, we're getting tons of YouTube ads. Oh, and it's all the, about abortion from the D Triple C about abortion. Yeah, how, how do you think that stacks up with this? Oh, I, I think that what you saw there was on this poll right there. It's it's ranked twelfth. It's ranked twelfth as an issue. So basically, what here's how you got to think about this. They're asking all of these questions to individual voters, and they, and they're asking them. Sometimes they give you a list of things. Sometimes they ask people to tell them what matters to them, and then they compile that list. So each individual that is answering this doesn't know what another individual is right. answering, right? So what that means is everybody. And this was probably close to a 50-50 sample with respect to both Republicans and Democrats. So when you ask a 50-50 sample within a couple of points, abortion doesn't make it on to the, to the you know, this is 17. Abortion makes number 12. Climate change, 14th. LGBTQ issues, 17th. COVID-19, 16th. Capital January 6th, 15th. Like if, if you were to look at those and say, in your mind, who do you think's more concerned about that? Number 12, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those are all key Democrat issues where Democrats are talking about. If you want to talk about number one, inflation, the economy, election integrity, high gas prices, violent crime, the top five. All Republican. Every points. Republican I know is talking about those five things. Every single one. Like the only other thing that you might be able to say, and, and again, this is a mix. Number six, the Ukraine war. That would be an issue for a voter for one of two reasons. They're either furious that we're not doing more or they're furious that we might be getting involved in another land war, right? So you can say Ukraine war and that could be a top issue for someone and you might assume, oh, that's that's a liberal saying that. Nope, that could be either way. What I find so incredible is that when I think of the the top issues that Democrats are talking about, yeah. it's abortion, yep. January 6th, and climate change, yeah. which is number 12 14 and 15 yeah. on the list. And and as I said earlier, like like ju just for the audience at home, 
Think about what issues in your district or your state the Democrats are focusing on the most. They're probably not one, two, and three. No. And then think about the issues that the Republican candidates where you live are running on. They literally are one, two, and three, or they're one, two, three, four, well, five. Let, let's do that. Let's do this though. Let's again. We already admitted that Rasmussen is right of center. So let's go to another one. Let's click on this next one. Yeah. For if, if you if you distrust Rasmussen, we've got evidence to show that it's not just them. So th this one is uh, what is this? Harris Harvard. Yeah, it's Harvard-Harris poll. So again, we're not talking about a, a right-wing think tank. We're not even talking about something that's right of center. Um, Har Harvard-Harris, I, I would say that they're, they're the way they model is probably a little bit more left of center, but not like horrendously so. I think it's a fair, it, it, the results here I think are pretty fair. I don't think that they're necessarily biased in one way or the yeah. other. So here's, again, what they did is they they took it, I, we're, we're actually viewing the thread right now because I think this guy, uh, Eddie, did a good job of kind of breaking down some of the highlights within the poll. Um, but here's, here's what they asked people. They asked people, what are your important issues? What are the most important issues facing the country? Then they asked, what do you think the GOP is focused on? Interesting. And then they ask, what do you think Democrats are focused on? So now this is this is something where they're not doing like they're not looking at all the different commercials that are out there. They're not they're not asking candidates what they're focused on. They're asking the voters perception of what is important to you. And regardless of what's important to you and regardless of how you plan to vote, what do you think the parties are focused on? So most important issues facing the country. Thirty seven percent said inflation. Twenty nine percent said the economy. And 23% said immigration. They asked those same, that same group of people, what do you think the GOP is focused on? Number one answer was immigration. Number two answer was inflation. Number three answer was economy. So what that means is even though they're not in the same spot, it's still the top three issues for voters are the top three things voters perceive the GOP is tackling and addressing, right? That is what we call very good alignment between message, policy discussion, and voter issues, right? That's where you want to be. That is the sweet spot in any political campaign. You want to be talking about the thing voters care about in a way that they care about hearing it. Yeah. The third one is, okay, then the third question, what are Democrats focused on? January 6th, women's rights and climate change. Let, so the, not, those three, none of those three are considered in the top three issues that that a full cross section of voters yeah. said was the primary issue. Look at if you scroll down and you look at his uh, follow up tweets. Um, by the way, the 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 guy that's tweeting this out is a political science pro uh, professor, and um, look at look at what he says where he says that voters say Democrats are most focused on January sixth, which is ranked as the nineteenth most important issue wow. facing the country. Women's rights, which is a euphemism for abortion, uh, was ranked as number five, and climate change was ranked as number eight. Meanwhile, the three issues people see the GOP is most focused on are ranked one, two, and three. Yeah. So, like, just ask yourself, where inflation's at a generational high, the party that's in power wants to instead talk about abortion, climate change, and January 6th. Yeah. Like, from a messaging standpoint alone, Democrats get basically an F minus this oh, yeah. cycle. If When your number one issue is the 19th most important issue to the voters— that is a horrible misalignment. You know, you know what Democrats remind me of? Democrats remind me of the Libertarian Party right now. <laughs> <laughs> I demand that we focus on cocaine legalization. It's <laughs> yeah. like that. Like, 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 I mean, God bless those people. But like, like, again, from just a strategy standpoint, when you're focused on issues that voters do not care about. 
Because I'm sorry, but 19th issue, yeah. like like we've seen it over and over again. Voters care about the economy, inflation, immigration, crime. Like those are the things that are on well, people's and, minds. And this is what he, and the other thing that um, Zipper, you know, Eddie here pointed out that was interesting within the poll is he goes, of uh, on, on all three of the top issues facing the country, people said they were more likely to vote for the GOP on those issues. And by wide margins with inflation, it was GOP plus 12, crime, GOP plus 12, immigration, GOP plus 11. Anytime you get to double digit differences between the party, that is a very statistically significant, um, you know, departure between the two. And then he went down to the issues that Dems are focused on. This he goes, is crazy. This is the part that really blows my mind because I wouldn't have expected this. He goes, if we go down to the list of issues Democrats are focused on, we find that even on the issues they focus on, they don't have big leads. So on January 6th, they're D plus two. On abortion, they're D plus three. On climate, they're D plus five. So if these are their bread and butter issues, and they cannot even get a statistically significant advantage over Republicans. A wipeout is coming. They are in huge trouble. Here's the conclusion of this tweet thread that we really want to drive home. Yeah. Um, if you scroll down, this is this is probably the most incredible thing I, I saw from this entire thread, yeah. where he says, OMG, here's a number that should wake up some Democrats. 64% say that rising crime is the fault of woke politicians. And a majority, 52% of Democrats, say that rising crime is, quote, the fault of woke politicians. Yeah, the, the bottom line is that they doubled down. And, and we're, we've got some other stuff that we can go into this. And again, if you guys are interested in this data, we're going to have an election prediction episode before the election. Uh, we like to get close to it because there's so much stuff that can happen even just two, three days before an election, but we're going to be able to go through all that data. Christian's going to give his analysis. Um, but, but one of the things that's really interesting about this is there are, there are certain voting demographics that Democrats kind of take for granted. And, and you, you can see the way that they talk about it, right? They take for granted that women are going to vote uh, predominantly for Democrats. They take for granted that minorities are going to vote predominantly for Democrats. Their policies on crime have scared a lot of women voters, have scared a lot of independent voters, and have scared a lot of minority voters. Because, again, when it comes to disproportionate effects, right, a lot of times this ends up impacting, they, 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 they advertise this all as, no, 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 we're doing this to help these various communities. And the end result is it, it it's doesn't. It's hurting them. Because it turns out, it turns out, going soft on violent crime, going soft on um, you know, people destroying property, this all has an incredibly adverse impact on everybody, especially the people that are living in, in neighborhoods or in communities that desperately need investment. They need more job opportunities. Mm -hmm. And now as a business owner, if I'm looking at it and I can see that your city is going to treat me like the bad guy or just tell me to get more insurance if I set up a restaurant or a grocery store or a pharmacy, because at any given time, somebody can come by, vandalize my store can commit acts of crime, set up a homeless encampment right in front of it, driving away my customers, I'm not going to invest there. And I've sat there on the Virginia House of Delegates floor as they've talked about, we've got these areas within Richmond and our cities where they're food deserts. We don't have enough grocery stores. We don't have enough food. Or, or the prices of those groceries are significantly higher. It's like, do you ever want to look at the underlying causes for a lot of that? 
Because if you're operating in an environment where there's a lot more crime, a lot more theft, a lot more vandalism, not only does that drive away customers, but it increases the cost of you being able to do business across the board. It's not just the taxes. It's not just the regulatory policy. If it costs me significantly more to operate in an area where there's higher crime, I have to charge more for everything. Not because I'm an evil, greedy person, because your policies suck. That's why. And the people that are getting the most affected by it are poor people living in these communities that need more options, whether it's job opportunities or whether it's just access to food and other goods and services. And they're being represented by people that are saying, when the guy goes into that store and holds it up or steals or whatnot, we're not going to put them in jail for that. Or we're going to give them cashless bail. Or we're going to treat like it's, it's the fault of society in general. That doesn't do a whole lot for the people in that community that want a safer environment for the kids to go to school, to be able to get health care, to be able to get jobs, to be able to get groceries. So, and people are tired of it. So, Nick, what do you think the response from the Democrats <laughs> has been yeah. to the polling catastrophe where they have suddenly found out over the summer the Democrats thought we have this in the bag. Yeah. Roe v. Wade was overturned. We're going to mobilize all these people on abortion and climate change, and we're going to have all these hearings on January 6th. And that's going to be what the focus of the midterm elections on, those three issues. And now they get into late October, and then they're seeing the polling, and they're like— why are people not paying attention to our three top issues? Well, so so what do you think that the response from the Democrats <laughs> is going to be? Is the response going to be to pivot to talking about inflation, immigration, and crime? Or is it going to be to tell the voters, well, you're wrong. You shouldn't be caring about gee, those issues. Gee, Christian, it's almost as if you have a video clip to illustrate the point <laughs> yeah. you're about to make. So just literally <laughs> like two or three days ago, Nancy Pelosi goes on Face the, Face the Nation with CBS and just just listen to what she has to say here. And the fact is, is that uh, when I hear people talk about inflation, as I heard them there, we have to change that subject. Inflation is a global phenomenon. phenomenon. Yes. The EU, the European Union, the UK, the British have higher inflation rate than we do here. It's not the fight is not about inflation. It's about the cost of living. Oh, we need oh, to change the subject. This is where we can change face the nation to in your face nation. <laughs> we, oh, I love this ad. So, you know, to Spamberger's credit, she's at least realized she's the catastrophe pivot to that awaits her. And, and now, granted, I think she might be doing it maybe a little bit too late, but she's one of the few Democrats that has realized, oh my gosh, the voters are no longer caring about January 6th and abortion and climate yeah. change. I need to actually, shocker, talk about the things the voters say they care yeah. about. I don't necessarily think her gimmick's going to work out here because she actually has a long track record of trashing some of these things and voting for bills that create inflation. But many Democrats, she's the, she's the exception here on the strategy front yeah. because most Democrats are doing the Nancy Pelosi strategy, which is we need to change the subject. Yeah. The polling says inflation is the number one issue. We need to tell the voters they're wrong and they no. shouldn't yeah, well, care we, about our we, issue. What we need is more interviews with a grown man <laughs> pretending to be a girl going on TikTok and social media and then getting an interview with the president of the United States because that's the key issue that voters are really concerned about right now. It's not so much the homeless encampment and the feces all over the road in front of my kids' elementary school. It's more this grown man walking around in skimpy female outfits talking about girlhood, right? That's where I want the president's attention to be focused. Not, not potential nuclear war, right? Not that. 
Not, not for generational high end on inflation. Not, not the inflation, which is it, which is just destroying everyone's budgets. You no, know, they need to change the narrative to get voters to focus on the things that should be important to them. And what should be important to the voters is massive government payouts to green energy companies and sending tens of billions of dollars into Ukraine at the same time that you can't afford groceries, right? That's what you should be focused on because we, the Democrats, will let you know what's really important. And if you disagree with us, you're a racist, bigot, sexist, or transphobe. Pick one, or maybe you're all of them. Or, right? a- but, or ableist. Or ableist, or ableist now. And that's the strategy. And you know what? God bless them because they did this in Virginia in 2021. And we took back the House of Delegates. We won the governorship. We won the attorney general. We won the lieutenant governorship. The only reason why we didn't win the Senate is because the Senate wasn't up for re-election that year. But what this demonstrates across the board, you want the kind of early prediction. What this demonstrates is that they have not learned the lesson. And, and it's, it's not just an issue of bad policy. It's an issue of absolute arrogance. It's this idea that you as the voter are not focused on what they think you should be focused on. Yeah, right? The they're, voters are wrong. They're dealing that- with bigger <laughs> issues, right? Don't you understand that democracy is under threat? N- no, I understand that the price of my groceries has gone up by about 30 to 40%. That's what I understand. How about you stop doing the thing? And when Nancy Pelosi talks about this is a global phenomenon, you're right, Nancy. Central banks can screw things up in multiple countries simultaneously. So yes, while inflation is a global phenomenon, it's not a global phenomenon in the day that we woke up one day and then all of a sudden there was an inflation virus that hit all of us. No, all of your central banks started engaging in the same sort of bad inflationary monetary policy and it's created an issue across the board. At the same time, with respect to wars and enhanced taxes and regulations, you've made everything more expensive. Oh, by the way, letting people out of jail early also makes things more expensive. So no, it's, yeah, it's a global phenomenon because people that think and act and govern like you have been in charge in a lot of different places. And guess what? It turns out, no matter where these policies the are tried, <laughs> over time and space, they fail. Right? So real Nancy Pelosiism has been tried, and we don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> so that... Uh, we're going to wrap up with, with pointing, as Nick said, you know, look, look at the, the direction... That, that, that things are going. Here's the polling that we've seen here. Um, the, uh, so first off, Politico and, and Morning Consult, they have been so wrong this yeah. entire cycle. They perpetually said D plus four, D plus five. Yeah. Um, and, and also, it's a bit negligent on their part to be polling registered voters two weeks away from the election. Yeah. I can understand at the beginning of October still doing that, but yeah. but by the time you get into late October, if you're not screening for likely voters, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah. Um, uh, Hamilton, if you scroll down um, on here, um, here's the chart for those who are watching us on YouTube. Um, you can see that what happened was is that in the summer, the late summer, right after July, the, the polling tightened up, right? In July and August, it looked like briefly, if you look at that chart there at the bottom, you can see that Democrats actually had a, a lead by the time you got into August and September. But lo and behold, after Labor Day, when the ads started rolling and the general public, you know, does the thing they usually do in election cycle where they start paying attention to the, you know, to, to the races in detail, Right. That Democrat lead evaporated literally within the span of just a few weeks. And now it's it's Republicans are right back to where they were in April and May and June in terms of their polling advantage. And the last thing that I want to show is it's not just the polling that is pointing to a potential wipeout for Democrats in November. 
Um, let's show them predict it. Let's show them what the betting markets have to say. Yeah, this These is, are people that are putting their money on the yeah. line for what they think is going to happen. Th this is this is really interesting because, again, this goes into there's – there's a lot of things when – there's a psychology behind polling. So when someone is asked a polling question, there's generally two things that kind of go through their mind, and this has been academically studied. One is th there's what they think and believe. There's what they want to happen, and then there's the way they want to be perceived. So even though you know, it's, it's not like the pollster is saying, oh, well – Susan said this when she answered the poll, people still have it in their minds that there's a correct way to answer some of these questions, especially depending on how the questions are phrased in the poll. So you have, you have all of that going into effect when people are answering this. When you go to the, when you go to the models where people are spending their money, that's not to say that there can't be other manipulative issues with all of that, but people are a little bit more honest when it comes to where they're betting. Right. They're, they're less likely because this is not something that is someone has called you personally and asked you a question. And they got your number or whatnot. This is something where you're taking a bet. Nobody knows who made the bet. And now you're getting into people that study this topic, um, that look at it uh, on a very like practical and academic level uh, and a data analysis level. And they're spending their money. So let's look at what predicted saying. Christian. Go ahead. Okay, so um, the betting markets currently show a GOP sweep of both chambers of Congress. Um, currently, they give them two to one odds of flipping the Senate. And in the House, I mean, it's not even a contest. Um, if you look at the map, the incredible thing was is that almost immediately after the cameras began rolling in Pennsylvania last night, it just became a rout in terms of the betting markets thinking, um, you know, that that Oz is, is favored to win. Um, overall, in the entire country... Um, you can see that there's really like four, maybe five, if you want to count New Hampshire, which is starting to, to potentially become, uh, come into play, but there's really like four key States that are, are going to basically decide control of the Senate. It's Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. Um, and then the fifth one could potentially be New Hampshire. Um, what you're seeing right now is that Republicans have just broken out in Pennsylvania. Again, two to one odds now in uh, to win uh, Pennsylvania. And a similar margin in Nevada. Um, and Arizona is getting tighter. What's that, Even if you look at this map, you might say, oh, well, Democrats are favored to, to hold on in Georgia and in Arizona. But Hamilton, if you actually click on any of these states, um, we'll, we'll show Pennsylvania to start with, and I might show one more after this. If you click on Pennsylvania, here's what the betting market says, right? 68% um, to 37%, their, their percentage is, is measured in cents because yeah. it's, it's, it's dollar amounts. Right. Yeah. And Hamilton, if you scroll down just a little bit and then <laughs> here's, this was last night. Um, Hamilton, if you actually do the 24 hour view, look at that. You see that giant spike right there that happened, what, 17 hours ago. That's when the debate began. Yeah. And, and for those who are listening rather than watching, what you see was is that it was relatively close between Oz and Fetterman in the betting markets. It was basically close to 55 or, or 45 or 60, 40. And then the debate happened and it, it just, it, it became a landslide. Yeah. If you actually scroll out longer, Hamilton, click on either 30 or 90 days. Look at that. Yeah. Wow. Just look at and, and that bar down there shows you the number of shares traded for either side. So you see this giant spike. That's from the debate that happened last night. Two hundred and fifty two thousand trades that were made in the market in, in in one day. If you go out to 90 days, you'll see something even more crazy. Just look at that. Yeah. Look, I mean, Complete look, look at that trend line right there and, and look at how many people got into the betting markets when they saw that debate. Yeah. Um, Hamilton, if you go back, well, I'll show one more state. 
um, to drive this point home. Let's do Arizona. Oh, look, Arizona actually just flipped. Wow. <laughs> Literally live. Just flipped. I, I, I knew this was about to happen. I was actually telling Hamilton before we started rolling the cameras uh, this afternoon, hey, can you keep pressing F5 on your computer on Predictive? Because I saw that some of these states were like on the verge of flipping and literally... I we we couldn't have planned this out like Arizona literally just flipped into the Republican column while we were playing this ha um, Hamilton scroll down let's do a 30 or 90 day view for this look at that it, the, the gap I, I was going to show that the gap was closing but it hadn't actually closed yet but if you go down to the 24 hour view you can see that it just yeah. it just flipped it literally just flipped like 30 seconds ago yeah um, and, and this is the betting markets. And, and the reason we're bringing this up is because betting markets historically are more accurate than polls. Wow. And it makes sense because, shocker, the people that are risking their own money <laughs> yeah. are more likely to get it correct because they're not in the business of losing money. It, you could be a partisan Democrat or a partisan Republican, but you know what? If you think the other side's going to win— you're not going to throw your money behind your candidate just because you like them. You're going to throw yeah. your money behind who you think is going to win the yeah. election. Yeah, that's that's the big difference. It's like you might answer a poll question where you really got nothing to lose and you want your side to win. You might answer it one way, but then when you go and you're actually predicting what's going to happen. Now, again, the other thing to keep in mind is the people that are doing this might be betting one way and voting a different way. Right. That That's perfectly fair. It's just but. You need to look at this as more of like an indication, a tool of where people that are closely following these races really think it's it, it's going to happen. And and it's interesting because this is it's a much more organic way of doing analysis on these topics than when you're talking about some of these polling companies that have really gotten to a point where, yeah, they might have some good sophisticated models. They might you know try to do their best to allow for, you know, bias confirmation and things like that. But. You, you can kind of see it. You, you can see where there's this temptation by some of these companies to kind of yeah, push it in, a, in one direction or another direction. When it comes to betting markets, I, you just don't have that as much. It's a lot harder to do that because it's decentralized and people are making decisions based off of what they really think based off of how they, you know, they want to make money. Yeah. And, and so you, you get this kind of, you know, organic decentralized honesty with that sort of process. That's, that's interesting to look at and analyze. Yep. Um, so Nick, what? Well, I, I mean, I look. I think here's it, we're going to do we're going to do another um, episode coming up here in a little bit, talking about like very very specific on predictions, what's going to happen. We're going to look at some very key races that, that will be coming out the seventh, the day before yes. election day. That'll election be day is a Tuesday. We typically yeah. publish on Tuesday, but we're going to publish on Monday. We're going to publish week. one. Yeah, thank you for telling me that. Just so everyone knows, we're going to publish earlier that day, so we can give you guys the predictions. You know, obviously, it would be a little bit disingenuous for us to publish it on election day. Yeah. Be like, we're going to give you our predictions at seven thirty. <laughs> no, so we're going to go through all that process, but. Again, Again, what we wanted to do was kind of set this up, let everyone get an idea of what is actually going on and what these debates, what this polling means. Because again, if you go on Fox, you go on CNN, you go on Real Clear Politics, you're going to get a snapshot. We want you to understand some of the, the things that are happening behind the scenes and behind the numbers. So hopefully we accomplished that for you today. Thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. 
special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick. And once again, thank you for listening.